0: Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.
1: Southeast Radio. Well, the following interview contains descriptions of violent and harrowing acts which some listeners may find distressing and in my opinion is not suitable for children. Against all the odds, Richard McCann succeeded in life After a violent childhood, which was followed by crime, drugs and imprisonment, Richard turned his life around and is now helping other people to realise their full potential. Richard joins us now to share his incredible story. Richard, yours is the ultimate story of triumph over adversity. And it all started as a very young child.
0: Well, for the first five years of my life, we grew up in a very gritty northern city. Uh, in the suburbs uh, with my mum and dad and lots of alcohol, lots of violence, social services around there all the time. So it was a pretty horrid time and dad left when I was four and there was a number of boyfriends, all of which were violent. But a week before my sixth birthday was the day, you know, that changed all our lives and it's a day I'll never forget. Mum going out drinking and, and, you know, to be fair, she left us in the house on our own, four children, which of course she shouldn't have been doing. But the following morning... It was about 5 o'clock in the morning. Sonia, my sister, never forget, she shook me awake and says, Richard, Mum's not come home. Let's go look for her. So we put our coats on and we wandered the streets. We made our way to the local bus stop and we just sat And I just remember thinking, something's not right. Mum always came home, even though she was a big drinker. She always came home. She was always there when we got up for school. And that, you know, sitting at that bus stop, you know, fearing, well, obviously I couldn't imagine what really happened to her, but fearing you know, she'd come to some harm. Her boyfriend just been released from prison, actually. Anyway, after about an hour, we gave up and we went home, and when well, the police came to the house and asking questions, they took us to the local children's home. and that's when our hearts were broken, when the police officer, must have been like a CID officer, plainclothes, he, uh, he said, your mum's been taken to heaven, and explained that we weren't going to see her again. And you know, even even though I heard those words, I didn't believe him. And I, my first school was a Catholic primary school, so I prayed to God to bring bring my mum back. And I thought they had brought her back. Later that day, they took us into the um, the visitors room, and I remember walking, in. she wasn't there, of course. But it was a it was a photo shoot for the local papers, and our picture was in the papers, the four of us, along with another picture, and and it was that news, I guess, item was how my mum's family found out what happened, and and that is that she'd been murdered. And she'd had been she actually been found on the field at the back of the house, close to where me and my sister Sonia walked. And we later discovered she was murdered by Peter Sutcliffe, the serial killer. And I, I don't like saying that the name he'd been given, but the Yorkshire be, begins with R. That was what introduced me to real, you know, acute, painful adversity. And we reunited with my father, my strange father. And he was a, his parenting skills weren't what they should have been. And he was, you know, that he was a big drinker, and um, so we were subjected to, to some horrific things, including the dog being drowned in the bath. He used to beat us with sticks. So what what happened was, I just had this feeling of unworthiness, not as good as other people. And then the police came out, and they they said when the fifth person had died, this was a sixteen-year-old schoolgirl. She, sorry, she'd left school. They, they said, "Oh, you you killed an innocent one now," and I and. And I thought, hang on, wasn't my mum innocent? So I I grew up scared of my dad, scared that my mum's killer might be going to kill me, especially because Jane was one of our babysitters. And it was just a horrid time growing up.
1: I want to talk next about how that particular influence on your early life brought you into crime and drugs. First of all, using drugs, and then, of course, dealing drugs. And then ultimately, you ended up in prison as a result. Provide us with an insight into that chapter in your own life.
0: I'm not going to make excuses and, and, and say that, you know, I got involved in petty crime because of what happened in my childhood. But I suppose it. Because of my childhood, you know, low self-esteem, a small circle of friends. When I got involved in recreational drugs, just as you know, drug taking, all of a sudden I was like liked and loved, and you know that, you know, and I found that really, really attractive, and and I fell into the, I guess, the drugs world. Not nothing too serious, but I fell into that that way. Uh, so so maybe maybe what happened influenced me uh, doing that, but it's certainly not an excuse. And you know, I, I went into prison and. The main thing to say here is, once again, like when mum died, I actually told myself that I was supposed to be arrested so that I would be given this opportunity to turn it around.
1: Take me back to the day that you came out of prison and you decided you were going to put structure on your life and take a very positive approach going forward from there.
0: Well, being released from prison was, was, I mean, the joy of being released wore off weeks later because I was back in court. I'm getting my house repossessed. And as positive as I had been, like when mum died and when I first went to prison, when I was told I was given six weeks to get myself a job to save my house, and after five weeks of probably 25 interviews and rejections, it was really difficult to be positive. I, I simply couldn't find a way back, or I thought I couldn't find a way back. That was when I formed a suicide pact with my sister, Sonia. And sadly, the day that we discussed it, she got drunk herself, and took 30 paracetamol tablets. That telephone call was like i have been hit with a bolt of lightning. So, it, I mean, just to come to that part of the story, we got her into hospital and saved my sister. But And that was what motivated me to then give it one final push to save the house. And, and I did, in my sixth and final week, I was given a job. And that was the start of the turnaround. And that was this, the start of creating a some stability in my life. So I had a mortgage still and I had a job now and and then, and then I did a few things, you know, like I took up salsa dancing and I and, uh, got myself some therapy, various forms of therapy, counselling, psychotherapy, because I knew that I'd been affected by my childhood and, and, and a lot of that was unresolved. So that was the... So coming out of prison in 97 and the next few years was all about rebuilding my life and myself really and and, and it took a few years but, you know, finally... I, got, I think the turnaround was when I parted company with the councillor in 2002. And, and that was the start of, you know, things turning around.
1: So provide us with an insight into your career path since you came out the gate of that prison and got the job in that warehouse.
0: Well, initially I got the job in the warehouse. And, but because of, I mean, I'm not very academic, no qualifications, but I've always been enthusiastic. So I, I got promoted in, in that job. And uh, it was a ladies' wear suppliers and I, I got this role to import all the garments from Sri Lanka and I got pay rise after pay rise and I managed to pay off the the arrears to the banks sooner than I proposed but then something happened in 2002 and I was, so I was there for a few years and my sister Sonia she stabbed, stabbed her boyfriend in self-defense another one of those incidents that when at the time was obviously tragic she didn't kill him But when I look back now, it was instrumental in me doing the work that I do because what I decided to do in a moment of despair and to try and help Sonia, I decided I'd write write a book. I'd write a book, I'd tell the story of what we've all been through. And I naively thought that the judge might read the book. Uh, That never happened. And actually the police dropped the charges, but I found writing about my life very cathartic. And I continued writing the book and it came out in 2004. And Just the is the book, and, it, and it, you know, it liberated me for a start, but then it led to, and it's in 11 languages, you know, half a million copies, knocked Robbie Williams off the number one spot or a book about him, <laughs> and it was that that led to my first invitation to speak, which was on February the 8th, 2005, coming up to the anniversary, and I was shocking, and I sat down in a chair, I read a little bit of my book, and I was so nervous, but I did it, and, like, I speak about now, you know, sometimes you've got to do the scary things because you never know, you know, by stepping outside your comfort zone where it might lead. Little did I know, and and last week was my 3,000th presentation, uh, little did I know how far reaching my career would go.
1: And I know that the words, I can, are hugely important to you, not just for your own life, but to those that you help through the academy.
0: Yeah, the, the I can. I mean, incidentally, Richard McCann there's I can in my name, and my name at school was CANNY. My dad's name uh, in Derry was was Tim Can. So that Can has been with me. And, and do you know something? I I think it maybe helps me or helps inspire me from time to time throughout my childhood. So it's vitally important. And then, you know, everything. Everything which is what I say. Everything starts with I can. Although I have to say, that's just i can's not good enough on its own you have to follow it up with the i will uh, and doing the work because we all we all can do great things but we can all make a difference we can all set up our own businesses we can all write books but a lot of people don't do these things and half the time it's because they're walking around with imaginary bars around them rather than the real ones that i had limiting beliefs i'm talking about so yeah it's been an interesting journey and you know what I'm being asked to do a hell of a lot at the moment is, is, is the resilience work. You know, People have been struggling over the last couple of years. And what I like to remind them of is, oh, yes, I can share some techniques. But actually, we, uh, you know, as human beings, we, we have got resilience within us. And it's about tapping back into that because we've typically been through things throughout our journey already, which we bounce back from. And I, and I you know, take some time to explain that and get them to re- reflect on their lives.
1: So Richard, what was your original idea for the ICANN Academy and the services that you'd be able to provide to your clients?
0: When I first started, I didn't know I was going to be a professional speaker. I got asked to share my story three times in 2005 and I was a Samaritan volunteer. So I didn't, it wasn't an academy to begin with. Um, but, but when I decided in 2006 that, Do you know what, maybe I've got something here, maybe I can add value to people's lives, that's when I started to sit down and think about, OK, let's give, let's give my business more structure let's you know w- w- what can i do and and so that's you know and it's been a, an evolving journey and it's still evolving right now with all the virtual work that i'm doing working with global companies around the world honestly virtually that i would maybe never have dreamt of doing two or three years ago so the icon academy was just when i started to put some structure around what i did rather than just i guess speaking for the local samaritans for, for half an hour i decided no this is I need to take this seriously, professionalise what I do, and that's why we took the ICANN, which I've lived with all my life, and made it the ICANN Academy. And we do various things, resilience, keynote speaking, presentation skills training, storytelling, and uh, and the new programme that I work on is the the Growth Mindset, so it's ICANN Grow, so helping people, you know, think think more about themselves.
1: And Richard, is it true to say that the fear factor is probably the biggest challenge that's holding people back?
0: If you're talking about speaking and presenting... It is up there, you know. The, the fear, of I mean, it's one of the biggest fears, if not the biggest fear on the planet. Although it might have been swamped by the fear of COVID at the moment, but you know, historically, the biggest fear on the planet is, um, is is standing up, speaking. I think so. Fear is important, yes. A lot of what's stopping people progressing in their lives, not just speaking, is negative self-talk. I met a teacher eight years ago. Told me that after a talk, he said, oh, "I so needed to hear that." And I asked him, "I said why?" He said, well, I've been telling myself that I'm too young to, to go for assistant head teacher role. And I said, Oh, go for it. And, uh, you know, eight years later, he's now a head, head teacher, not assistant head, over three schools. I've worked with him in his new role. So, so that's not about fear. That's about just the thinking, the quality of your thoughts. See, the quality of your thoughts has an impact on the quality of your life that you experience. So limiting beliefs, that's one of the big ones.
1: You recently said that your eight year old son knows something about presenting that most adults don't. What is that?
0: A few years ago, I was speaking on a weekend. So I took my little boy with me, Ellis, and he he carried my bags and I gave my talk. Incidentally, he joined me on stage and he's he's actually spoken to 3,000 people at the age of eight. But we walk into my car and he turned around and said, Dad, can I ask you a question? He said, do they pay you for that? I said, yes, they do pay me for that, you know, just speaking. He said, but you're just having a chat. It's like you're in the playground with your friends. The point is, it is just a chat presentations, it's not like a dark science. It's just speaking, it is a conversation. One of the best books I ever read was um, Talk Like Ted, The Nine Public Speaking Secrets of the World's Top Minds. Number three is to have a conversation. And that's what I've been doing with you. And we beat ourselves up. We make it out to be something it doesn't need to be. Relax, it's just a chat, we can all talk, and that's all we need to do when presenting.
1: What are the keys to mastering the art of storytelling?
0: There's a number of things. I think when it comes to storytelling, one of the most important things is to relive the story rather than tell the story. So rather than saying, do you know once my teacher came up to me and encouraged me to take part in the public speaking competition, so rather than recount it, I would actually reenact that. So my teacher came up to me and said, Richard, why don't you enter the school public speaking competition? So it's dramatising and recreating the moments of people that are reliving it with you rather than just listening to you tell the story. So that was the... it's, it's drama. It's become a drama king or become a drama queen. Actually, uh, or either uh, is where people not go wrong. But when you see people reenact the moment, that's what that's the magic. That's where the magic happens. There's lots of other things I could share, but that's the big one. Reenact the scene.
1: And from a business perspective, what are the areas that cause the most problems or indeed stress for your clients? I think that
0: even not, not just recently with COVID, but I think. For the last 17 years, I've been in business and helping organizations. The big thing, it's about self-belief. Often people hold themselves back based on the quality of their thoughts. And often it's because maybe they're not encouraged, being encouraged by the right people. It may be their environment, their childhood, or, or maybe they just not had a good leader that will you know, get them to think differently about themselves. I mean, one of my first jobs was ironing trousers. I did it for two years. And had I not had somebody... Uh, encourage me to do something different. I may have stayed there for 30 years. We need people around us. So I think, yeah, it's self-belief. That's one of the things that helps people, holds people back. And it's a common theme for 17 years.
1: And how do you help those clients to overcome that? I think my, me as a
0: keynote speaker, my I can keynote presentation helps do that and, you know, demonstrates really powerfully uh, where those limiting beliefs might come from. I, your childhood, typically, your environment. But also my story demonstrates that with the right mindset, with the right, you know, willingness to step outside your comfort zone, you can achieve great things. You can achieve, in fact, we will never achieve everything we have the potential to achieve. So I think a lot of, of my programmes help people do that.
1: And Richard, finally, as we enter a world that is hopefully nearing the end of the pandemic, what motivational words do you have for our listeners this morning?
0: Well, one of the things that I talk about in my resilience workshops is what I call the bounce backer graph. If you were to chart your life, the ups and downs of life, we all have the same shape, bounce-back a graph. I.e., after every setback, you always end up back, it's multicolored in, my, it's in the red or in the green. After every setback or period in the red, you always end up back in the green. So those are my... Which means when that pandemic kicked in two years ago, I knew that we would get through it. The danger is this, though... After every period in the green or every you know, period of uh, stability in your life, there's always a setback around the corner, which is why we need to say those moments in the green or when things are going well, because you might get a phone call tonight. Um, however, if you do get a phone call tonight, know this, you will, you will grow through that experience, post-traumatic growth, they call it. You're growing as you wouldn't have done had it not been for the setback. And have we grown over the last two years? And know I have.
1: Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Richard McCann from the ICANN Academy, and I'd like to thank Richard for sharing his phenomenal journey with us this morning.
0: Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.